Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi guys, no, 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 no. Yes, I did that. And you would do it too, Quanche. What is this? A face? What is this? A book? Oh my God. Facebook. Ah! I Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. Brittany, I know you're not excited to talk about this, but I'm very excited. I'm not, but I guess we have to. You were like, let's keep this short. (laughs) (laughs) I was morally opposed to talking about this. We have a breeder fetish update this week. We did an episode about the breeder kink a couple weeks ago about how Nick Cannon has a secret breeder kink and all the other powerful men who also have breeder kinks. And Elon Musk came out as having a breeding kink on Friday, basically. He allegedly has a breeder kink, I guess, but I think it's pretty clear from like... He said he's trying to solve the underpopulation crisis. Yes. Wasn't that his excuse? He said, I'm doing my best to help the underpopulation crisis. A collapsing birth rate is the biggest danger civilization faces by far. And we can talk about how that's like, it's very much not. It's very much not the biggest danger civilization faces by far. Yeah. But basically, Elon Musk, Business Insider reported that he secretly had twins with one of his employees who's a woman named Siobhan Zillis. I'm not going to look up if that's pronounced correctly. Listeners, you know why. It's because we don't want to. Who works at his neurotech firm, who someone on Twitter correctly noted she looks exactly like Grimes in cursive. I don't know if you've seen a picture of her, but it's 100%. Yeah, she looks like if like Grimes was less weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She looks like Normie Grimes. She does. She's very pretty. She looks like Normie Grimes. And the twins are eight months old. People on Twitter were mathing the math and they realized that Grimes was carrying her secret baby via surrogate with Elon around the same time that Siobhan was carrying their secret babies. But more to the point, this brings Elon's kid count up to nine. That's a lot of kids for someone who looks as awful as he looks so ugly (laughs) so ugly and that's like the worst possible genes to carry and like i know people try to convince themselves they're like oh but he's like rich and like he seems like he's smart he's not smart and he's ugly he's actively dumb he's extremely dumb (laughs) he had a tweet today it made me so angry where he was like If you want to sleep better, don't eat three hours before you go to bed and raise your headboard three inches. Where it's like, okay, like you've read men's magazines before. Like, good for you, Elon. I'm so proud of you. It doesn't mean anything. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. But he, yeah, he said, I'm doing my best to help the underpopulation crisis. And he, that's been his thing for a couple months, right? Like he's been tweeting this for a couple months. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. I did a story on this a couple of years ago. Like it's very much most demographers, most people who study this for a living, unless they're like ultra conservative, say that it's not really a problem at all. Like it's not an issue in the long term. It's possibly an issue like in Japan, for instance, where the population is like rapidly aging and they're worried about like there not being enough of a workforce like later on in the future. Like it can be somewhat of an issue in the long term. But 
honestly, like it's more symptomatic of a wider problem. Like the reason why people aren't having kids, like a lack of infrastructural support or paid leave. And it's kind of like a far right talking point to suggest otherwise. It's like, oh, maybe if we saved the environment and had better infrastructure for this pandemic and also paid people better, maybe they would have more kids. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe if we had free health care people would have more children. Exactly. Yeah, but nobody wants to talk about that. I mean, it's also an interesting argument from a guy who reportedly doesn't talk to one of his kids because they're transitioning also. Yeah. Like, do you think that Elon Musk is like a present father? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. He looks like White Ernie from Sesame Street and he's also like a deadbeat dad. How funny would it be if I like came up to you and was like, EJ, guess what? I'm eight months pregnant. (laughs) And it's Elon Musk. It's so funny. That'd be so ridiculous. That'd be the most insane thing I would be able to... I don't think I'd be able to get that out fully. I would be so ashamed of myself. It would have to be like the lowest point in my life for me to have procreated with Elon Musk. He's so rich, though. It's not worth it. I guess it's not It's not worth it to come out and say that your, your baby daddy is Elon Musk. You're right. It's not worth it. The shame of that. Yeah. I'd lose all my friends. I'd lose any clout I have. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me that you matched with Elon on Raya. No, I would have told you that immediately. (laughs) You would have known first thing. I would have gotten my account deleted to take a screenshot of it. Oh, it's can you imagine like the poor women, the poor women who like have procreated with Elon Musk. There should be a charity for them. And there should also be a cha- like a sub charity under that like tax form for women who have dated Leonardo DiCaprio and aged out of the bracket. If you had to choose one cursed billionaire to procreate with, who would it be? The uglier, the better. I think Bezos is my favorite cursed billionaire. All things considered. I wouldn't say favorite, but he's probably the one that's like, I guess it's like a sure why not. He's not ugly. And also, I really appreciated that he rented out Space Mountain so he could ride it by himself and then took pictures of it. I thought that was a very endearing thing for a multi-billionaire to do. Also, just like, like, I'm so impressed by the way that his ex-wife screwed him over that I would like want to follow in her footsteps. Oh, yeah. Mackenzie is a queen. I would be like, yeah, sure. I could do that, too. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Can I have a worse divorce from Jeff Bezos than his last wife? I don't know. I would hope I would. (laughs) I support women's rights, but I also support women's wrongs. And marrying (laughs) Jeff Bezos is a big wrong. When Elon came out with this, the breeding kinksters all united in his replies with none other than Nick Cannon tweeting right there with you, my brother, with a fist emoji in response. Awful. Do you think Elon Musk knows who Nick Cannon is? That's a really good question. I don't think he does. Did he reply to that tweet? I think he does because they go to the same meeting. They go to I love coming meetings. Okay. Do you think realistically Elon Musk (laughs) has ever heard of Nick Cannon? I'm going to ignore what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) That's for the best. I think he does. Nick Cannon's pretty famous. But is he like on his radar? Here's what I'll say. I think he knows what most people know about Nick Cannon, which is that he was married to Mariah Carey. And that he has a million children. I think he knows those two facts. I don't think his knowledge goes beyond that. I feel like he knows about Mariah Carey. I feel like he doesn't know about how many children he has. So I feel like Elon Musk was confused by that notification. (laughs) Did he respond? So I'm not sure if he responded, but Meghan McCain responded to both of them. Okay. It was very much like on theme with last week, like a broken clock is right twice a day. She wrote an essay for the Daily Mail. <laughs> oh my God. What was that tweet that she was like, bring me the Beach Boys instead of bring me the Beat Boys? 
She's so dumb. Talk about somebody who like scored low on their SATs. Like Megan McCain is like 100% in that category. There's that one tweet that she tweeted in a bunch where it was like, love you more than those other bitches before. And there's like a screenshot where she's tweeted that like 20 times oh over the God. course of multiple years. <laughs> she called their Twitter exchange the creepiest tag team tweet thread in history, adding, this is flat out weird. This impregnate the planet mentality is creepy and comes off like the actions of a cult leader more than an altruistic person who wants to expand their family and save the planet. Which is, yes. Okay, maybe I, mean, I agree. I agree too. She's right. Megan McCain popped off for once. That's a lie. She has some really great hair in the last like two weeks of her being on The View. <laughs> I don't want to ignore that. Give credit where credit is due. Anyway, I hope we don't have to update this again. Yeah, we're not going to. Let's talk about other chaotic straight people. Eight people. I'm actually really excited for this one. I've been dying to talk about this. And I've mostly been dying to talk about it because I've been waiting to discuss Doja Cat's public thirst for TikTok's white boy of the month, Joseph Quinn since it happened. And I'm so, I'm so, so, so happy that things got so absolutely unhinged in the last few days to make it really appropriate for us to talk about it. So EJ, you don't watch Stranger Things. You hate the show. I loved the first season. I thought the second season, the punk episode was so painfully stupid that it like caused my head to explode. Like I could not watch it anymore. Yeah. I mean, my thing with Stranger Things is that I've watched every season, but I will binge it for like two days and be like, oh my God, that was great. And then I will forget what happened promptly two weeks later. Like if you asked me today, most of what happened in this past season of Stranger Things, I cannot tell you. I genuinely don't know. That's how I feel about Grace and Frankie. Like I watch every season. I will defend that show to the death. But if you ask me what actually happens on that show, I would not be able to tell you one fucking thing about it. Yeah. So Stranger Things, the new season came out and Joseph Quinn who is the object of Doja Cat's Public Thirst, is the latest breakout star of the show. And he joined in season four, first episode of season four, as the like lovable metalhead who runs the Hellfire Club, which is Hawk and High's Dungeons and Dragons Club. And his character's name is Eddie Munson. And basically they split up the season this year. So there's a lot of Eddie Munson and there's been like two waves of people being really obsessed with the show and talking about it constantly. So Eddie Munson is... I think extremely hot. I understand why everyone's thirsting for him. It's my favorite kind of 80s boy trope. He's incredibly cute and lovable. He's just like burnout metalhead. Absolutely so hot. And both Joseph as the actor and Eddie as the character have created a fever online. His lines from when another new character, the sweet cheerleader named Chrissy, who was killed in the very first episode of season four, were turned into the song Chrissy Wake Up, which I'm sure everyone has heard on TikTok at least once. It's completely all over the place. It's not even used for Stranger Things purposes. It's just a very popular sound now. Chrissy Wake Up! And everyone's also very overwhelmed when they learn that Joseph is a completely different person without his mullet wig. He's very dapper and British, and he's still super hot as both. So when the first batch of Stranger Things episodes came out, Doja Cat tweeted about Joseph Quinn. So on May 30th, she said that Joseph Quinn is fine as shit. Everybody loved it. Everyone was so excited. She has historically dated some busted looking white men. Like that is like a point of interest mm -hmm. with a lot of her fans. People will completely just like make fun of that constantly so people were like really excited about her liking a guy this hot that 
seems like really cool and everyone else is thirsting for. And her thirst was ongoing and very, very public. She tweeted about him a lot. She'd respond to fans tweeting about him. Like she just kind of like was interacting with people. It was very playful. It was like very fun. And it was very widely known that she had a crush on him. So here's where Joseph's co-star Noah Schnapp gets involved out of nowhere. So if you don't watch Stranger Things, Noah has played main character Will Byers since season one. So he's a big part of the show. He's a lead on the show. He's also 17 now and extremely online. And he's been active on TikTok for a few years now, especially while like in between seasons of Stranger Things, he just is always liking and commenting on other people's TikToks. He posts a lot. So of course, because the Doja Cat crush on Joseph Quinn story was already really big among the fans, when there was a video made by someone about Doja's thirsty tweets about Joseph, of course, Noah got a little bit involved and he stitched the video with a screenshot of an Instagram DM convo with Doja who asked if Joseph was single and if Noah could set them up. So I didn't really think too hard on this conversation at first. No one did. Everyone loved it, especially since there was no new information in the DMs that exposed Doja for anything more than being continuously horny for a man the entire internet is currently horny for. So there were countless tweets about how people stood no chance now that Doja was in Joseph's DMs. Noah's video racked up millions and millions of views almost instantly. It was a big internet moment. People really loved it. So that's why it was more shocking when Doja Cat hopped on TikTok Live Friday night to respond to Noah Schnapp's TikTok. And more shocking was the fact that she was pissed about it, like absolutely Mm -hmm. upset about this video. I'm just going to say something right now about the whole fucking uh, the Noah Schnapp thing. I think that. To be fair, first, let's be let's be try to be chill about it. To be fair, this is like a, a kid. When you're that young, you make mistakes. You do dumb shit. You fucking fuck up relationships with people. But the fact that Noah did that, like went and posted a private conversation between me and him, is so unbelievably like socially unaware and whack. And like, you know what I mean? Like that's like borderline snake shit. Like, that's like, that's like weasel shit. I have such mixed feelings about this. Yes. So basically Doja was pissed about a private conversation being posted without her permission, which is extremely fair. She defines it as not exactly snake shit, but definitely weasel shit is her her line of this. And I think it's a bit much. He's 17 and it's very common on TikTok for people to post private conversations constantly. So I feel like it's just like now become such a norm for that. Anyway, she says she reached out privately to Noah. The video was still up at the time of the live on Friday. It has since been taken down. I don't know when exactly it was taken down. I believe like sometime on Saturday it was fully gone and it ended as quickly and randomly as it started. So the reaction has been extremely mixed, much like mine and EJ's feelings about this. So most people, though, have found themselves on Noah's side. That's been like, I would say that's been the public consensus as far as what I've seen. I don't know what you've been seeing online, but I feel like all the TikToks and all the tweets I've seen have been pro-Noah. It's been really interesting because Doja Cat really has spent many years building up a lot of goodwill on TikTok in particular. Like, it's kind of like a meme in itself. Like, there's a constant comment on in her comment section like oh I always forget she's a celebrity like she comes off as very real very chill like very goofy and that's been very much her persona 
for a really long time, but there have been some chinks in the armor. Like, I mean, we discussed this at length in our story, our cover story from January, the fact that she has worked extensively with Dr. Luke, who is the producer who Kesha accused of rape. He denies it. But even following that accusation going public, like Doja continued to work with him. She said some arguably really racist shit, like homophobic shit, like offensive shit online. And this, I would say, was kind of like even beyond all that. This was the probably the most effective at degrading her like public persona. People were really angry at her about this. They still are. People were angry. People, I think, were just confused as to why her reaction was so extreme to this. So what people pointed out, though, immediately, because I think everyone sort of pointed out a lot of different reasons why she was wrong and also why Noah was wrong. I have seen people sort of be like, like, we get why she was essentially upset, but obviously her reaction didn't match the crime. So people point out that it was weird that a 26-year-old Doja Cat slid into 17-year-old Noah Schnapp's DMs in the first place for his 29-year-old co-star's number. I have to agree with that. It's like a little, like, you're a celebrity. You're a popular artist. You could just have your people call his people. Like, you don't have to go to Noah Schnapp. And also, if you watch the show, Will Byers and Eddie Munson aren't even in any scenes together. Noah Schnapp is the worst person to reach out to. to. He is the worst person to reach out to. Like, like this is a spoiler, but I mean, like everyone knows that by now it's been a couple weeks, but Eddie is dead by the time Will even gets back to Hawkins from California where the family had moved. So they don't share any scenes together in any of the episodes. That is the worst person to reach out to. He's probably, he probably didn't even meet him until like this year. He probably didn't meet him until like two weeks ago. But if they were friends, like if she had been friends, again, weird that a 26-year-old woman would be friends with a 17-year-old. Not unheard of in Hollywood, but like a little a little weird. But if they were friends, like I think that would even make this a little, make her look a little worse on, because like I could totally see a universe in which he posted this because he thought she would find it funny if they were friends. That's the thing. Like it's hard to tell exactly how well they know each other. Like I think that her TikTok live makes a case for the fact they probably don't know each other very well. But at the same time, it seems like there was like a message history when you look at the screenshot that Noah had posted. It looks like there was like a little bit of a message history prior to it. But it's really hard to tell. I mean, again, like this is the other thing that it's just this is so normalized. We've talked about this in the podcast where it's like so normalized to share what seems like a private interaction on Twitter and online. Like Doja and Noah are both very online people, but they're two different generations of online where it's like I feel like Gen Z and like teenage online means that everything is content. Everything can be a joke. And like millennial online is like everything is a bit. Everything's like you create the content, like you create the viral moment. You're not necessarily like using your real life as sort of like the comedy launching point. And so that's why people like yeah. normalize posting people's dating app profiles. And that's why you see constantly like text interactions on here, DM interactions, like no conversation that's private to a teenager. Like anything that would seem private to us now is like not necessarily private when you're a teenager. I feel like that's probably something he's absorbed again as a person who is a TikTok content creator, but also they're all famous. Like they all have people, they all have teams. Like there could have been sort of an interaction offline that could have better handled it. Like I think like it probably would have been smarter for her to either have just like leaned into it because there was no new information in the DM. There was no private information. It was nothing different than what she had said on Twitter. So that was the other thing. Like she probably just could have commented on the TikTok and said something and then like people would have moved on in like a week. 
It just didn't make any sense for her to air this publicly and like rant about this at length. We don't know what their private conversations have been. Clearly, the video has been taken down. Noah hasn't said anything more. Joseph hasn't said anything about this. And Doja has That's what's has funny certainly, to me. He has said nothing. This- he's just enjoying his moment. Like he is like literally he's doing so many interviews. He's doing so much stuff. I have not seen him say anything about this. And like he's just like promoting himself and like having a good time and enjoying the fact that he's not squandering his current public goodwill of like people being obsessed with him and this character so i don't know it was just like a bad i feel like there was better ways to handle this but also i don't know like maybe she had like asked him privately to sort of take it down or something like i don't know what the conversations were between them at the end of the day like i'm still rooting for joseph and doja that's my toxic trait i still think that should happen i think they'd be a really cute couple i love that for both of them i just like i was rooting for it more before the TikTok live, but I still am. I still want it to happen. They're both hot. Like, why would I be opposed to that? My toxic trait is that I am immeasurably furious about what we're going to talk about next. (laughs) So let's do some theater kid bullshit because (laughs) it's been a busy week for theater kids and mostly just for us. So this is a segment where we talk about stories close to theater kids' hearts this week, whether our audiences like it or not. But I feel like this is a story. This is not like a niche theater story. This is a big theater story. This Everyone knows this happened. Everyone I know cares about, everyone I know without exception cares about this because it's messy. If you're a fan of messiness, then you care about this. It finally happened. And it's what theater kids across the country have been manifesting in their hearts and minds for months, if not years. Leah Michelle has officially been cast as Fanny Bryce in the Funny Girl Revival on Broadway. Congratulations if you're listening to this, Leah. I'm sure you're finding out through us for the first time. So if you've been paying attention to both the theater and celebrity gossip blogs for the past few weeks, the casting has been pseudo-confirmed for some time now. News broke on page six before Funny Girl or Leah could actually confirm themselves. The road to this new production has been a twisty and melodramatic one. So here's what you missed on Glee. So Funny Girl famously launched Barbra Streisand's film and Broadway career. It's a dream role for any singer slash actress. And it's also been really tough to imitate. So you're basically taking on two icons at once. The real life Fanny Bryce that the show is based off of and Miss Streisand herself. It took 55 years for there to be a Broadway revival of Funny Girl. But that wasn't without some failed attempts along the way. The last time there was supposed to be a revival of the show was when Glee was at its most popular and Leah Michelle was being celebrated for tackling Streisand classics on the show with ease. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. And Ryan Murphy, the creator of Glee, bought the rights with hopes of sticking Leah in his production. And also they had done a plot point on the show of Rachel Berry, Leah's character, performing in a Fighting Girl revival. It would have been good cross-promotion for the show, for Broadway, but it just never happened. No one really knows what happened with that production. And then Glee just kind of sputtered out. It went off the air, it lost popularity. And Leah's career spiraled out as well. She made a lot of failed attempts after failed attempt to become a TV star, to become a pop star. She never really attempted Broadway again. I don't think she really did much film either. She was mostly trying a lot of TV. Nothing's really stuck. She's never really been able to make a TV show or her pop career work. So in 2020, her public image further tanked when a former Glee co-star, Sammy Ware, called Leah racist for Leah's onset misbehavior during the height of the George Floyd protests, pointing out a lot 
lot of what had happened on the Glee set. So, of course, other co-stars who there had been a lot of stories that had floated around, a lot of rumors that had floated around from both Broadway and from various TV sets that Leah just sucked, that she was a horrible co-star, a total diva just like a huge bitch to everyone that she worked with. And other co-stars basically semi came to her defense, especially the co-stars of color who had worked with her. They basically asserted that Leah was not racist, just a major bitch to anyone that she worked with. Of course, Sammy (laughs) Ware today actually was tweeting like while the show announcement was happening where she was like, this was my experience and like not theirs. Like she had experienced what she felt was like a very racist sort of like environment that Leah had created for her. And so it did not bode well for Leah's career at all. She has been persona non grata, though it's, I don't know, it's not like she was booking much to begin with. I think this just really kind of made her even more of a punching bag publicly on top of not having many roles. So that was 2020, of course, when all that came out. Then in 2021, a year later, it was announced that a funny girl revival would finally hit Broadway. The star would be Beanie Feldstein, the buzzy young actress who turned heads in Booksmart and Impeachment, which is another Ryan Murphy show. People were excited and people were also using this as another way to kind of joke about Leah Michelle. Everyone was excited until the reviews rolled out this spring and Beanie's performance was completely panned. These were horrible reviews. She just did not fit the role. It just did not seem good for her for the show. One of the opening lines of a review that I read was, it must be difficult to cast Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl, which kind of sets the tone. It is. It sucks. (laughs) So Not Helping Matters was a large number of performances that Beanie missed have turned her understudy, Julie Banco, into one to watch. Like, Julie was getting a ton of rave reviews. People were really, really obsessed with her as Fanny Bryce. And while that was all happening, Leah was in a bit of a career renaissance due to the Spring Awakening documentary rollout. So people were talking about Leah's talent again. She had sort of switched and morphed the narrative to be a little bit more positive about her as singer, as an actress, as a Broadway star. She even performed at the Tonys this year. So Beanie announced that she was leaving a few weeks ago, and she was originally slated to exit in September along with Jane Lynch. That's when all of the Leah rumors started to explode. There was a lot of talk on Broadway and celebrity gossip sites, and they were starting to become more and more legitimate by the day. There started to be more and more people coming forward, Broadway insiders who seemed to make the speculation become sort of a reality. It was then extra surprising when on July 10th, Beanie posted on Instagram that she would actually be leaving at the end of July instead of September. The news came with a statement that implies some behind the scenes shadiness. She said, quote, once the production decided to take the show in a different direction, I made the extremely difficult decision to step away sooner than anticipated. That does not happen with a star as big as Beanie Feldstein unless there's some major shit that went down. And we know that that show has not financially been doing well because of how bad the reviews were. So what that reads like to me is that the producers were paying attention because how could they not to all of this online gossip? And they were like, "Okay, this is the only way that we're going to be able to recoup the costs. Beanie, get the fuck out of here. Right. And not helping any of that was the fact that the funny girl socials immediately like almost to the minute that beanie posted her statement posted that there would be a major cassie announcement at 1 p.m on monday so it was very much like it was people were in a tizzy there was just a lot going on as soon as that happened then of course 1 p.m on monday july 11th leah michelle was confirmed to take on the role in September. And Julie Banco, the understudy for Beanie, who has been getting rave reviews, 
will be stepping in as the lead in the interim once Beanie steps away in at the end of July. So there's a lot of speculation. A lot of people are trying to figure out what happened to make Beanie leave and what was going on behind the scenes. People were very much like up in arms over this. I saw a lot of people very, very angry about this happening and feeling like Beanie was being mistreated, that there was this was sort of just like something happening against her because she's one of the handful of plus size leads in a Broadway musical. I have to call bullshit on that because the reviews were not good. The reviews were not good. I saw it. She was not well cast. She's an okay singer. She would be great in any other role. It was not the role for her. I don't even blame her, honestly. I blame the producers because the producers set her up for this. There was like bad buzz around her, like in the lead up, like even before the show opened, people were saying she was terrible. And they clearly knew for a long time that this was not going to work out. So they could have saved themselves and Beanie a lot of time and money by not just replacing her while the show was being workshopped. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone's sort of making, I was like, this is not the take. This is not it. This was not like it's already like not super progressive to have a plus size person in a role where the person like the lead character is supposed to not be attractive. It's not the progress people thought it was, but she was also bad in it. That was not a good sign that people were looking forward to seeing Julie Banco, the understudy. Yeah, there's no mystery here. There's no mystery. If you're bad in something and you are losing people money, you're going to be fired. I mean, especially on Broadway, where like most like it's very hard to put it to put up like a financially successful show and they put a lot of money into this. Like there's no mystery here. So In the end, Beanie isn't some Broadway nobody who got her big break with this. She will be fine. She's going to have a great long career as long as she sings less Barbra Streisand songs. As for Leah, of course, me and EJ are very split on this. I know she's problematic. I know she's canceled. I don't care. I can't be bothered to care. Like, I am very excited to see the show. Leah has extremely dark energy and just a a cursed person, but the girl can sing. You know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of when Ariel turns evil in The Little Mermaid with the, and she gets, Ben, she gets brown hair. And Ariel was singing. Evil Ariel. That's exactly why she reminds beautiful and sings really well. Yeah, she was serving and she was singing. Listen, I don't care. I can't be bothered to care. There's so few things in this world that bring us joy. And maybe I want to hear Lee Michelle sing My Man live. I'm a gleek. I can't help it. You don't lose that. You don't lose that part of yourself. As hard as I've tried, I can't lose that I'm a glee. She, so. she doesn't sing it in the show. I'm sorry. She doesn't sing it. Well, I don't I'm know sorry. anything about the actual show. What, <laughs> what songs does she sing? It's a terrible show. I mean, that's the other thing. And I also want to say, I mean, I personally do not think they should have cast Leah Michelle because I don't think that years of bad behavior in an industry should be rewarded, frankly. In some ways, this is just like the worst possible version of Leah Michelle getting this. Like, I'm sure she is just like, not pleased at the fact that after all these years she's getting it she's getting it like the worst point in her career she is getting this at like a point where she can't even be nominated for it like she's coming in after someone else failed to do it it's not selling well it's probably going to close by early next year i would doubt that it lasts through like it'll probably last through like the holidays and that's it like i don't know maybe this is like a death knell to like the revivals and to like the lack of original content on broadway like i think this could be that could be a kind of happy ending for it but i also i don't know i don't really like again i just want to hear her sing the songs like i don't really i have no moral code to who does what on stage all the gleeks are going to come out in full force yeah 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Answers can be found in the MTV video games. Welcome to Moral Panic, the segment where we discuss what's prompting the right to emit a stream of trickling pee in their little baby diapers. We were sort of in phase like a few weeks ago where everyone, both on the right, but like even in some circles on the left, was blaming trans people for everything. It was really awful and depressing. Like, Brittany, I don't know if you read Pamela Paul's terrible op-ed arguing that women are being erased because of gender-neutral pronouns. You know, I didn't make it past the first paragraph of that. But lately, to quote Stephen Sondheim, something is stirring, shifting ground. It has begun. People are moving from blaming trans people for everything, and now they're blaming antidepressants. I first noticed this on Tucker Carlson after the Highland Park July 4th mass shooting. It was like the day after and obviously after any shooting, the conversation in most rational circles turns to gun control. But this is what Tucker blamed for the shooting instead. This is him comparing the young men of America to the alleged shooter, Bobby Cremo. Maybe because there are a lot of young men in America who suddenly look and act a lot like this guy. Like Cremo, they inhabit a solitary fantasy world of social media, porn, and video games. They're high on government-endorsed weed. Smoke some more. It's good for you. They're numbed by the endless psychotropic drugs that are handed out at every school in the country by crackpots posing as counselors. So a lot of young men in America are going nuts. Are you surprised? And by the way, a shockingly large number of them have been prescribed psychotropic drugs by their doctors, SSRIs or antidepressants. And that would include quite a few mass shooters. So you're probably wondering two things, as I was. One, Tucker's implying that Bobby Cremo was on antidepressants. Like, is was he? And two, are antidepressants linked to increased violence and or aggression? The answer is we don't know yet. And the answer to the other question, whether antidepressants are linked to increased violence, is no. Because I spoke to a number of psychiatrists and prescribing psychologists about this last week, who when I called them up, they were basically like, listen, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, stop talking to me. Which I think is a fair thing to say, because they have to deal with this over and over again after mass shootings. Like, is this something that you've seen in the media, like after a mass shooting that somebody will blame SSRIs or antidepressants? Honestly, I haven't seen the antidepressants stuff as much, but I feel like all sort of right-wing and conservative media outlets are always looking for something to blame that aren't 
guns in the same way that in the 90s they were blaming the music and all that stuff like they're always looking for something that's not the actual thing yes it happened after parkland it happened after columbine and it's a discussion that's been pushed like not only by the right but also by this organization called the citizens commission on human rights international does that sound familiar to you Brittany? no it's a scientology organization (laughs) Oh, that's why I ask because I know you love Scientology. You know, I'm a regular. I do know. That's why I ask because you're a regular. Should give me a punch card <laughs> for all the open houses I've been to. <laughs> the amount of free awful bagels I've taken from the Scientology centers across New York City. A punch card for what? Like Thetan readings or a punch yeah. card for like well, they, food? They never give me a Thetan reading. I'm black and I'm a woman. They do not give me a Thetan reading. They have offered it to white men, I know, but not me. They don't offer Thetan readings to women of color. I, they do not women? offer one to me. Interesting. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I've been in so many open houses. I didn't even know that they offer that until a friend of mine who was a white man was like, yeah, I got one. How many have you actually been to? Like three? We don't have to get into a number. <laughs> <laughs> I need to add numbers to the equation. We have to mention this. So our producer, Jesse, just said that he has gone four times to Scientology centers and he has gotten four Thetan readings. Okay, I've gone three times. Zero. Zero. That's damning evidence. Damning gotta, evidence for that Scientology is problematic. <laughs> oh, my Breaking. God. I'm actually Scientology so is canceled. I'm so mad. They lost a potential convert because I was... Very susceptible to probably any cult-like religion at that point in my life. It sounds relaxing. Ugh. I need that, honestly. I I need that stress relief. Like, I need to go to a spa and get a Thetan reading, like, quite honestly. But <laughs> I think that would really help me, like, solve a lot of my problems. <laughs> like, Scientology is famously against psychotropic drugs or any medication for that matter. And But it's not just that antidepressants are being linked to mass shootings. People are also blowing up this into a full-blown moral panic. Consider, for instance, this TikTok that went viral last week. It was posted by this guy, Eli Holt, who lives in Snohomish, Washington, a city I had never heard of, except one of my least favorite contestants on Are You the One? The MTV reality show that me and Brittany are obsessed with is from there. If you have teenage kids in Washington State, watch this video. I get a call today from the counselor at the high school, Snohomish, Washington. They proceed to say, your child, 15 years old, did not pick up his antidepressants um, at the end of the school year. I said... He, he's not on antidepressants. Like, what are you talking about? My kid is not depressed. I got that in my teeth. Forget it. And they proceed to tell me that they had a psychiatrist come to the school and give my kid antidepressants. And he's been on them for several months. I had no knowledge. I knew nothing about it. It went viral. It was posted on the right wing account Libs of TikTok. But like most things on that account, it was total bullshit. I called the school district and it's true that kids over the age of 13 can get mental health treatment without parental consent, but they can't like prescribe antidepressants or any medication whatsoever without parental consent. That's just not something that happens. Like, and you should know that. Like if you've ever been to the nurse's office, like I couldn't get a tampon. Like they do not give you anything. You can barely get antidepressants, like and let alone antidepressants. Like you can barely get them from a primary care physician. I want to point out those videos, hashtag Roe v. Wade in it. That makes no sense. And also like many of his videos also have hashtag Roe v. Wade, which is like, so like why? Well, I think he was trying to prey on this idea that parents are really concerned about what their kids are doing in public schools and that they're being indoctrinated or in this case, like actually physically being stuffed 
with pills. I think he was successful. It sucks because that kind of thinking and that kind of intense suspicion of pharmaceuticals, I mean, something like 15% of the population in the U.S. is on an antidepressant, right? And I think there are legitimate reasons to be concerned about whether or not this is being, they're being overprescribed or whether or not antidepressants are the best course of treatment for everybody who has depression. But regardless, they help a lot of people. And like, I think that this kind of mounting suspicion could really eventually deprive kids who need mental health care of the help they need. And I'm a little worried about that. I would have loved to have been given antidepressants in high school. Kami? Me too. And Xanax. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Imagine. I needed needed Xanax in high school. I was a panicky, anxious child. I saw a Daily Mail article on researching the story that was it was like a list of medications that give you homicidal ideation and one of them was Xanax and I was like really? <laughs> like, Xanax just makes me fall asleep on planes. Yeah. Like I've never wanted to kill someone because of a Xanax. <laughs> I have wanted to like take a nap and watch the family stone but like murder? No. <laughs> Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where we celebrate some of the world's head emptiest hotties. So I wanted to clarify for all of our listeners that we see himbo as a gender neutral term. Though most of the hot idiots we crown happen to be cis males, we want a bone or Horace. But today (laughs) we are shifting gears and celebrating a woman with true himbo energy, big himbo energy, if you will, Drew Barrymore. So I don't need to explain Drew further. If you don't know who she is, I cannot imagine how lost you must be listening to this podcast. Like, you must be so confused. But she (laughs) is an icon. She is a legend. She remains the moment. She is also the namesake for one of the best SZA tracks, a truly stellar track record all around. So Drew was acting until a couple years ago when her amazing show, Santa Clarita Diet, which was incredible. If you didn't watch it, highly recommend it, was canceled. So I actually looked up, she's not retired from acting, but she's on indefinite hiatus. But she's definitely found a new calling in the interim as a talk show host with the Drew Barrymore show. And EJ, have you watched any clips or episodes of the actual show ever? She's either the best talk show host I've ever seen or the worst. I think best. It has some of the most chaotic energy of any any show I've ever watched in my entire life. And I watched, I used to VHS record the View in middle school to watch the Rosie O'Donnell and Elizabeth Elizabeth Hasselbeck fights. Like this is somehow even more chaotic of energy. So if you haven't watched, only do so while extremely stoned. It's just like an incredible and true trip where Drew is just doing shit, just do shit. Like it's really just like a, a vanity project for a rich person who has done a lot of things, and that's why it's kind of enjoyable. Like she just reunites random past cast members of movies and shows she's been in. She just like cries at everything, like at the drop of a hat. She had like Tom Green on for like a reunion interview for no reason. She screams loudly and is just generally incredible in every possible way. Like she seems like such a fun hang and I would kill for her if ever called upon to do so, but she would never, she would never ask. So due to her talk show, Drew is also now wildly active on social media, especially TikTok. And she has such a nice genial energy. So it's hard not to be constantly endeared by every nonsensical monologue she posts. But there is one video that has captured the hearts and spirits of a generation. So the people who own this apartment before me um, covered up a window with drywall. I don't know why. And I was like, I know there's a window. I know there's a window. And guess what? There's a window and we're about to reveal it. Oh my god, that's so strong! God, Carlos, you're so strong. (laughs) 
I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew there was a window. I knew it. In the video, Drew is doing some home renovations and points out that there's a covered up window that she wants to expose. She makes it seem like this was something she sensed, which she very likely just saw that there was a window outside that was not, was covered up. <laughs> yeah, she's she gives like, I have like a vision that is here. It's like, no, babe, you walked outside and you saw that there was a window and it didn't match the number you saw inside. But it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so she has her contractors tear up the drywall to let the light in. Done and easy, right? You just have a new window. It's a renovation video. Except this then causes Drew to feel so emotionally overwhelmed by the sunshine and new window that she starts uncontrollably sobbing at the sight of it. And this is also after she barks at it at one point. She just starts barking. This is just, it's extremely wholesome content and I can't help but be forever obsessed with her. I just, it's one of the best videos I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it just, it brings me so much joy. So congrats to our himbo queen. We love a woman who can't count windows. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) It is hard. I feel like I probably wouldn't have noticed it. It would probably take years of me living in a place for like my mom to show up one day and be like, do you know you have an extra window? She she didn't go to college and she didn't go to high school. Like you can't expect her to be able to count windows. She went to the school of life. That's She's how doing you the best count she can. windows. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. You've been scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we really don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. 